Well, let me invite you to take God's Word. Turn to the Gospel of Mark, chapter number 1. Mark, chapter number 1. As we continue our journey uh, with Jesus through Mark's Gospel. Uh, This past basketball season, uh, the Kentucky Wildcats media department put out a series on Facebook. It was a series of videos. Uh, I think it was four, maybe six weeks um, that they would release a video. And it was a behind-the-scenes look at the university, at the basketball program. And it followed Coach Cow. It followed the players. You, you saw them in their dorms. You saw them in school. Uh, it gave behind-the-scenes glimpses at practice, pre-game speech, in-game conversations, post-game interviews, uh, showed them doing fun stuff, and I really enjoyed it because it reminded me that the players we cheer and treat like idols and sometimes criticize ruthlessly, um, it reminded me that they are really just kids. And it gave me a greater appreciation for what they do and for their talent and for the growth that you see uh, in them in just a, most of the time for us, about a six-month period that we get to know them. Uh, But it was that walking alongside of them, seeing them day by day that really caused my appreciation to grow. Well, what we find here in Mark, in our text today, is Mark's going to do somewhat the same thing. He is going to give us a behind-the-scenes look of what a 24- to 36-hour period is like in the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is breakneck speed. It is intense. It is action-packed. And it is a whirlwind from sun up until sun down, even sun up the next day. But... Just as that video gave me an appreciation for the players at Kentucky, I hope and pray that this text will do more than that, but that it will shed light on one aspect of our Lord's ministry, the aspect that is highlighted and the aspect in which this text centers on, and it is on his glorious kingdom authority. And so in Mark chapter 1, Let's begin in verse 21, and we'll read down through verse 39. Scripture says, And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him, crying out with a loud voice, came out. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. And at once, 
His fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever. And immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. And the fever left her. And she began to serve them. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said, Everyone's looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next town, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. This is the word of the Lord. Twice in this text, we find a statement about Jesus' authority. In verse 22, after Jesus teaches in the synagogue, Scripture says that they were astonished for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And then after casting out a devil, an unclean spirit, in verse 27, they, the crowd talks amongst themselves and what they say is this. What is this? A new teaching with authority. You see, our text clearly demonstrates and plainly declares the unrivaled, sovereign kingdom authority of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we must ask the question, what is authority? How do you define it? Well, some places define authority, some books define authority as power. But it's more than just power. The Greek word for authority in this passage is the word exousia. And what it means is the right to rule, the right to govern, the right to control, the right to command. In other words, authority is the right to exercise one's power. You see, whenever a police officer is directing traffic, That police officer has authority to command cars when to go, when to stop, when to let certain people through, and when to stop certain lines of traffic. And if you defy that authority, you may end up with a ticket and a court date because behind that police officer's badge, behind his authority, is the weight and the power of the law. And that's why you get pulled over, you you get arrested in the name of the law. That's the source of the authority. But certain authority is limited to certain jurisdiction. For instance, the district attorney in, say, New York is powerful. If you commit a crime in New York, in his jurisdiction, he has the right and he has the ability and he has the power to indict you. But the district attorney of New York does not have the right or the power or the ability to indict someone in Sayersville for crimes they commit in Sayersville. Why? 
because that is outside of his jurisdiction. His authority does not go that far. His authority is great, but it is very limited. But what about Jesus' authority? Is there a sphere in which his authority is powerless? Is there an area where Jesus is outside his jurisdiction? Are there any limits to the great power and authority that is held by the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, Mark's gospel is marked with a great battle, a clash that we see every single page and every single verse. And that is the dawning of the kingdom of God now clashes with the domain of darkness. Jesus Christ, the king of God's kingdom, has entered this world. And with the king comes the authority of the kingdom. And he clashes with Satan and with the domain of darkness. Oftentimes in Mark's gospel, that clash is seen when Jesus cast out demons and Jesus cast out unclean spirits. And we ask the questions, does Jesus have authority to act in this sin-cursed world that is ruled by the prince of the power of the air? Does Jesus, the one whose kingdom invaded this sin-cursed world, have jurisdiction to act with absolute authority? Or are there limits to his authority? Is his jurisdiction limited to heaven? Or does he have authority here on earth and not just on earth, but in all the universe? Well, this text makes it abundantly clear that Jesus has absolute, supreme, sovereign authority over all things. And then there is a, a, an exhortation, even from the text itself, all of Mark's gospel, for us to submit to that glorious, wonderful authority. And so what I want to do this morning is I want us to think about Christ's authority. And I want us to think about his kingdom authority. And I want us to see from our text three glorious truths that I hope and pray that God the Holy Spirit will write on your hearts as you think about and submit to the glorious kingdom authority of our Lord Jesus Christ. When I think of Jesus' authority from the text, here's what I want you to see. I want you to see that his authority is heard in his message. It is heard in his message. Now, we know Jesus is in Capernaum. Uh, Capernaum, in verse 21, is the residence, we know, of Peter and James and John and Andrew, the fishermen Jesus just called to be his disciples. Uh, Capernaum was a little village on the northwestern side of the Sea of Galilee. It was a very prosperous city. It was at an intersection of a very major trade route. There was a, a, a toll booth there, and it was manned by Roman soldiers. There was a contingent of Roman soldiers in Capernaum, and they were even controlled or or even governed by a Roman centurion that uh, we read about in our scripture reading this morning. And it was a city with a very large Jewish population. So large that in the city, they had established a synagogue. Now, Jews usually traveled to Jerusalem to worship God during the feast, during Passover, Feast of Tabernacles, another feast. But in the meantime, they didn't travel to Jerusalem to worship all the time. So what they would do is in the cities where there was a Jewish population, at least 10 men, they would uh, organize synagogues. 
And on the Sabbath day, they would go to those synagogues. They would open up the scroll, read the scroll, and some scribe or rabbi would give an explanation of what the scroll said. And so we have the setting here of when all of this takes place. It's in Capernaum. It's on the Sabbath day. And Jesus goes to synagogue. It would be about like Jesus going to church in the first century. So Jesus goes to church. And when he gets there, he, instead of the scribe, does the reading and he does the teaching that morning. And immediately people set up and they take attention because they notice something different about him. And what they noticed was that he wasn't like the scribes. He taught with authority. Notice the text. The people recognized his authority. Verse 22 says they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. Here's what I love. We don't know what Jesus preached, but we know how he preached. We don't know the particulars of his message, but we know the power of his message. He wasn't like the dry and dull, dead rabbis who would stand up and nonchalantly just read a passage and try to give an explanation and quote other rabbis. No. He preached as someone who knew what he was talking about, as one who was the source of the authority himself, and they recognized him. But not only did the people recognize his authority, the people also reacted to his authority. Verse 22, again, says, they were astonished. That literally means they were dumbfounded. They were beside themselves. They'd never heard anything like this before. They knew there was something different about this man who had entered Capernaum from Nazareth. He doesn't speak like anyone else speaks because he speaks with authority. His authority was heard in his message. But if they were astonished at what they heard, you wait until they see what he does because his authority is also seen in his miracles. Now, the bulk of the text takes place in verses 23 through verse 34 where Jesus performs a variety of different miracles. The first miracle that that Jesus performs here and what his miracles teach us is going to show us that he, Jesus, has miracle or has power and authority over demons. Um, in the synagogue on the Sabbath, Jesus is teaching. And as he's teaching, the Bible says in verse 23, immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. That is, he was a man who was possessed by a demon. And It says that immediately he cried out in verse 23. What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Now imagine this. Jesus preaches, and while everyone's sitting there listening, their jaws have dropped. They can't believe what they're hearing. Someone in the crowd starts to cry out. And it doesn't sound like the voice of a man. Because it's not the voice of a man. It is the voice of a demon who had possessed a man. And by the way, that ought to be an indicator to us to realize that the devil goes to church. (laughs) Imagine that. 
I, I bet this didn't probably thought of all Sundays for me to try, or all Saturdays for me to try and get this person to go to church and for me to influence him to go. I don't know if he was there a ruckus or what. He had to pick the day that Jesus shows up to preach. He probably thought, bad move by me. And so what's he doing? He just reacts. He cries out with a loud voice. And what's he say? What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? Well, immediately the demon recognizes Jesus. And you notice he recognizes his humanity. He refers to Jesus as Jesus of Nazareth. He knows who this man is. This man is the Lord Jesus Christ. And he speaks because he knew Jesus. He calls him Jesus of Nazareth. And he speaks because he fears Jesus. He's got a question. Have you come to destroy us? Now listen, make no bones about it. All of hell knows exactly why Jesus came to this earth. He came, John says, to destroy the works of the devil. And now the demon wants to know. Did Jesus show up to destroy all of them? To completely obliterate all of them? And he's terrified. But the demon not only realizes and recognizes Jesus' humanity, he also even confesses his deity. Look here what he says. Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. The Holy One of God. Listen, he knew this was more than just a man. This was more than just a scribe. This was more than just a healer and a teacher. But this Jesus who was teaching in the synagogue was none other than God himself in human flesh. And so how does Jesus respond to this man? How does he respond to this demon? Well, he just simply says two things to him. One, be silent. Shut up is what Jesus says to the demon. And number two, come out of him. And the Bible says that the spirit started convulsing and cried out again. And then it came out of him. You know, although he didn't want to come out of him, he had no other option but to come out of him because Jesus, the Lord of all, gave the command to come out of him. And it, it, it is really vivid. You get the image of, of the person falling on the floor and convulsing, almost like he's having a seizure. And yet the demon spirit finally leaves him. You know, that is a reminder to us that Satan doesn't like to depart easily. He likes to just hang on to the bitter end. But I am thankful for the word and the command of Christ. That even though Satan wants to grip and wants to hold on to the bitter end, he has no strength just at the very spoken word of the Lord Jesus Christ. So he casts this demon out. But then he also casts out other demons as well because news spreads about Jesus casting out a demon. All of Galilee in one day, I remind you, begins to hear about this miracle worker. Jesus cast out a demon at synagogue today. I mean, could you imagine what that would be like? Go to Mi Hacienda, you go somewhere to eat today, and they say, oh, how was church? And you say, well, it was kind of unique. While Justin was preaching, somebody uh, with a demonic spirit jumped up and started crying out. And, and just with a spoken word, that fellow fell down and the demon left him. And, and he was fine after that. That would probably spread like wildfire. Well, guess what? That's exactly what happens in Galilee. And news begins to spread. And so by the time evening rolls around, 
Verse 32 through 34 says that they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. Verse 34 says he healed many who were sick and he cast out many demons. So in the morning, he starts off in the synagogue, heals one man. He casts out one devil. By sundown, he's at Peter and uh, he's at Peter and Andrew's house with James and John. And now outside the house, it's like a mob gathers together. And they bring people who are demon-possessed and who are sick. And Jesus goes out and he starts casting out demons that evening. But here's the thing. Why does Jesus cast out demons? What is it that Jesus is showing us about his authority whenever he casts out demons? Well, it is a reminder to us, beloved, that when Jesus Christ came to this earth, he came to release people from the bondage of Satan. He came to deliver us from the bondage of Satan, who the Bible says takes us captive at his will. You know, unbelievers may not be demon-possessed, but I promise you this, they're demon-influenced. They may not have a a demon who has taken hold of their inner being and influences them and speaks through them. But I promise you this, if a person does not know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, they have a Lord. They have a king. They have an authority they are following. And it is the prince of the darkness of this world. But the good news is this. Jesus came to deliver us from the power of darkness and to set us free and to save us. And this text is a reminder that the domain of Jesus' authority, that the jurisdiction of Jesus' authority is limitless. Listen, he has all power in heaven. He has all power on earth. He has all power in heaven and hell. And nothing can withstand his authority. He has authority over demons. He also has authority over disease. Because now what we see is we see in this text that in verse 29, after he leaves the synagogue and he goes with Peter and Andrew to Peter's house, Peter's mother-in-law is sick. She's got a fever. She's laying down. Uh, We're not sure what the fever is, but it's bad enough that, that she can't move. And so they tell Jesus immediately as soon as he walks in the house. And so as soon as Jesus finds out about it, Scripture says that he came and took her by the hand and lift her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. Immediately, Jesus heals this woman of her fever. The fever breaks, and she sits up, she gets up, and she starts to to serve them. But she's not the only one that Jesus heals. Again, in verse 32, that evening they brought to him all who were sick. Verse 34, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases. Now, again, in the crowd that gathers outside the house, There are those who are demon-possessed. But then there are people who are sick. Different types of disease, different types of sickness. And while Jesus also casts out the demonic, Jesus also heals those who have disease. But why? What is this about? What does Jesus' physical healings throughout the gospel teach us about Jesus? Are they just here to remind us that Jesus has the power to heal people of sickness? That he has the power to perform miracles? The answer is no. It's much greater than that. You see, just as the casting out of demons 
remind us that Christ came to deliver us from the bondage of Satan. The healing of disease reminds us that Jesus came to deliver us from the effects of sin. Why is it that people get sick? Why is it that there's sickness in this world? I mean, from, from a common cold to cancer. Why is sickness a part of this world? Well, sickness is a part of this world because sin is a part of this world. Originally, when God created Adam and Eve and placed them in the Garden of Eden, sickness had no place there. But as soon as Adam sinned, as soon as he rebelled against God, God had told him, the day you eat of the fruit of the tree, you will surely die. As a result of sin, sickness then enters into this world. And what Jesus is doing when he heals someone is he is reversing those effects. And he is showing them that he came to this earth to serve us. He's the servant of Yahweh. He came to serve us. And one of the glorious ways in which he serves us is by overturning the effects of sin on us. It is a reminder to us. That in this kingdom of darkness, in this world in which we live in, that sin reigns. But in the kingdom of Christ, in the kingdom of God, in the kingdom of heaven, there is no place for sickness because the effects of sin have been eradicated through and by the Lord Jesus Christ. He came to reverse the curse. And so the authority of Jesus, what they had first heard, is now put on display by what they now see. They see him casting out devils. They see him healing the sick. And his authority is put on display. But as they hear his message and as they see his miracles, we're going to see something about his authority that might strike as somewhat unusual. Jesus is going to make a move here. And this move might seem odd to the world. But it illustrates something else about his authority. And here's what it illustrates. It illustrates us that his authority is spread by his mission. It's heard in his message. It's seen in his miracles. But it is spread by his mission. Now, the day closes. Jesus is at the house of Peter and Andrew. Now, if news about Jesus had, had spread before just by one Miracle at the synagogue. Could you imagine how news spread throughout Galilee now that he's healed many? That he's cast out many devils at Andrew and Simon's house. Now all of Galilee have got their minds made up that night. You know, sundown, we might not be able to make it. But you know what we're going to do first light of the day come morning? We're heading to Peter's house. Why are we going to Peter's house? We're going to Peter's house because that's where Jesus is. And everyone that's sick and everyone that's demon-possessed, we're taking them to Peter's house. But Jesus does something that is very common with him. Verse 35 says, rising very early in the morning. That's why I like getting up early. It makes me feel like Jesus. He, he was an early riser. And uh, so Jesus got up early in the morning while it was still dark. So it was very early. It said, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. And there he prayed. Listen, Jesus is the talk of the town. Everyone wants to come to him. They're all coming to him that morning. And most of us would have said to Jesus, stay. 
don't leave. God is doing something wonderful right here in Capernaum. You don't dare move and go anywhere else. But Jesus goes off and he prays. And when they finally find him, Jesus lets them know, fellas, pack your bags. We're going somewhere else. Because he said, let us go on to the next towns. Now that seems quite odd, doesn't it? Why would Jesus leave Capernaum? Why would he want to go to another town? Where does this decision come from? Well, first you have to know this. This decision was prayer-based. That is, this decision was not some haphazard decision that he just come up with. This was a decision that he made after consultation with the Heavenly Father. What's he doing that morning while it's still dark? He's praying. He's by himself. He's in a desolate place. And this is supposed to conjure up images for us of what happened back in chapter 1, verses 14, or verses 12, or verses 12 and 13, when Jesus is in the wilderness with the devil, where he's isolated, where he's in the wilderness, where he's in a desolate place by himself. Here Jesus is back in a lonely place. Here he is back in a a desolate place. And here he is, once again, praying to the Heavenly Father. Now this is intriguing. Because this is only one of three times that Mark tells us Jesus prayed. He prays here in Mark 1 after the crowds are eagerly seeking, trying to find him. He prays again in Mark chapter 6, verse 46 just after he feeds the 5,000 with the little boy's lunch. And John tells us in his gospel account, everybody's coming to him trying to make him become king. And then he prays that very familiar prayer in Gethsemane in Mark chapter 14, where he prays, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. You know what might sound odd? Is in each instance where Jesus is praying, Mark 1, Mark 6, Mark 14, He's facing the same temptation he faced back in Mark chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. And you know what that temptation is? That temptation is to get a crown without a cross. That temptation is to get a throne without a tree. (laughs) That temptation is to gain a kingdom without suffering. Because think about what are the people doing in Capernaum? They're all coming to Jesus. Oh, it sounds great. Let's make him king. I'm all for a demon-free kingdom, aren't you? I'm all for a sick-free kingdom, aren't you? Let's make this man king. Do you think he would have won a popular vote if he would have walked out and said, I want to be king? Hands down, he would have won it. In Mark chapter 6, after he feeds the 5,000, they come to him and they want to make him king. I mean, guess what? A hunger-free kingdom sounds great, doesn't it? This man can provide that. He's a walking McDonald's. You don't have to worry about food in the desert anymore. He can turn stone into bread. That's the king I want. And then in Gethsemane, with the cross hours away, just a few hours away, and Jesus is going to have to endure the wrath of Almighty God that is due all the sins of his people He's praying so much so, and the pressure is so great that his sweat becomes great drops of blood. And he's praying, Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. If it is possible, 
If there's any other way, if it's possible. If there's one prayer Jesus prays that I don't understand fully, it's that one. I don't, I don't understand it. I don't know what's going on in the Godhead at that moment. I, 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 don't, I can't wrap my mind around it. But I do know this. He prayed that. He's under the stress and the temptation that he faced with Satan in the wilderness. And so what's he doing? He's praying. And now he realizes after he prays in Mark 1, he's got to get out of town. The reason he's got to get out of town is they want to make him king. And Jesus did not come just to set up some earthly kingdom. He came to die. He came to go to the cross. And so he tells Peter, when Peter finally finds him, they wake up, he's not there. And Simon and the others go and try and find him. And they find him. Their word, their, their, their news to Jesus is, hey, everybody's looking for you. I mean, think about Peter and Andrew and Simon and, uh, and, and, and James and John here. Think about what they're thinking. You know, just the day before yesterday, they're just a bunch of no-name fishermen. This guy comes by and says, follow me. I'll, I'll make you become fishers of men. And they just drop their nets and they follow. They're probably thinking, you know what? We've made the right choice. <laughs> now we're the right hand men, man, we're the right hand men of the most popular guy in town. They come to their house. Where's Jesus? Oh, uh, we don't know, but I'll go find him for you. I know him. So he, he goes looking for him and he finds him. And basically he's saying, What in the world are you doing out here? Get out there where your people are. They love you. Jesus say, no, no, let's go on to the next town. That doesn't make human sense. That defies logic. And then he says that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. You see, his decision to leave, to go to another town, was not only prayer-based, but it was purpose-based. What do I mean by that? Here's what I mean. The authority of Jesus' kingdom is not a localized power that only a few people get to experience in a certain location. But the authority of Jesus is a globalized power that all the world one day will be brought under. That is what missions is all about. That is what sharing the gospel is all about. And Jesus knows that if he goes forward preaching and healing, then the power of the kingdom is also going with him. And as men and women submit to him, and as men and women surrender to him, and men and women believe in him and trust in him, that they are in a unique way entering into the kingdom of God Almighty. And Jesus says, let's go elsewhere. Let's go to other people. Let's take the gospel to others. And it will make sense later when Jesus will say something very familiar to the same disciples here and a few others. All power, all authority is given to me in heaven and in earth. Go you therefore into all nations and make disciples. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the ends of the earth. You remember what Jesus taught about the kingdom of heaven? I said it last week. It's like leaven that a woman put in a lump of dough. And before long, what happens to that leaven? It starts off so small. But before long, that leaven begins to spread and spread and spread. And then the entire loaf is, is, is leavened. 
Well, that's the way the kingdom of God is spread. Slow over time. And it started with just a little lump. The scripture says just a little seed. A Jewish carpenter from Nazareth. (laughs) And from there, it spread throughout all the world. And one of these days, all nations, all peoples, all tongues will sing praises to King Jesus. Because that kingdom is going to move forward and it will not be stopped. But There's something that is crucial in this text. So vital. Don't miss it. At the end of verse 34. The Bible says that he would not permit the demons to speak. Now, that means that whenever he starts casting out demons, he's not going to give them the same right to speak that the man in the synagogue, that demon got. Well, why? Well, the answer is given. Because they knew him. Now, If all the demons are going to say the same thing about Jesus that the one in the synagogue said, why in the world wouldn't he let them speak? Why would he tell them, hush? This is another theme that develops throughout Mark's gospel. It's the theme of secrecy. (laughs) A little later, next miracle Jesus performs, he cleanses a leper. What's he say to the leper? Go show yourself to the priest and... Don't tell anyone what happened to you. A little bit later, in Mark chapter 5, verse 43, Jesus is going to raise a little girl from the dead. And when Jesus raises a little girl from the dead, what does he say? Don't tell anyone. And then, Jesus is going to restore hearing or give hearing to a deaf man. In Mark chapter 7, or Mark chapter 8. Excuse me, Mark chapter 7. One of them. It's seven. And when he does this, what's he tell the deaf man who can now hear? Don't go tell anyone. And when Peter confesses that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, Jesus says, flesh and blood's not revealed this to you, but my Father who's in heaven. Don't tell anyone. Wait. Don't tell anyone Jesus is the Christ. Isn't that what they're supposed to be doing? Why does Jesus tell the leper, don't tell anyone I've cleansed you? Why does he tell the girl he raised from the dead, don't tell anyone I gave you life? Why does he tell the deaf man, don't tell anyone that I gave you hearing? And why does he tell Peter, don't tell anyone else that I'm the Christ? Why? Do you know why? Because Jesus knows fully well that that would have gained him a larger following. And he knows fully well. You can believe that Jesus has the authority. You can believe that Jesus is a miracle worker and still not believe that Jesus is the Lord of Lords and King of Kings. You can believe that Jesus has the the ability to cleanse lepers and follow him as a leper cleanser and not follow him as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. You can believe that Jesus has the power to raise the dead and you can follow him as as a resurrector of life but still not follow him as king of kings and lord of lords you can believe that Jesus has the ability to give hearing to a deaf man 
and still not follow Jesus as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And get this, Jesus knew for first century Jews, they could believe that he was the Messiah and still not believe, still not believe he was the suffering servant and the Son of God. Do you know what they thought Messiah was going to do? Going to set up a kingdom. He was going to rule. He was going to reign. He was going to overthrow Rome. And that is why Peter, the same one who confessed him as Christ, is the same one who rebukes him when he speaks about going to the cross. Because Peter had no category for a Christ who dies. They don't die. They triumph. They aren't crucified. They overcome Rome. You see, there is a danger, beloved, that people will believe in Jesus as a miracle worker and miss out on Jesus as Lord of lords and King of kings. You know, you can believe Jesus can perform miracles, still die lost and go to hell. You can believe in Jesus as one who can do wonderful things and die lost and go to hell. Just look on social media. You know what happens to a lot of unbelievers on social media? When, when they're diagnosed with cancer or a loved one's diagnosed with cancer, what do they do? They post a prayer request. Now, I'm not one of these pious people who think that person's unsaved. They shouldn't ask Jesus. They shouldn't ask people to pray for this. I mean, that, that's crazy. It's being a, a Pharisee in my opinion. But here's the deal. Do you know why they ask prayer and still yet they're not saved? Because they've got the type of faith the people in the first century had. Yeah. They've got faith that Jesus can heal cancer. He can restore a broken marriage. He can fix their financial ruins. And he can overcome physical ailments. That's why they ask for prayer. But do you know why the same people who in good faith and sincerely ask for prayer for these things, if they die, would go to hell? Because they believe in Jesus, the miracle worker, and they've not yet surrendered to Jesus, the Lord. And that's why Jesus says, be quiet. Don't tell them. I don't want people following me just because I'm a miracle worker. The purpose of the miracles is to show you the power of the kingdom of God is greater than that of this world. And it is to get you to submit and to surrender to my lordship. So today, let me ask you, do you believe Jesus is a miracle worker, that he can perform miracles? I dare say you wouldn't come to church on a Sunday morning in the Bible Belt if you didn't believe something about Jesus. But you don't go to heaven because you believe Jesus can heal cancer, or you believe Jesus can heal a disease, or you believe Jesus can fix a marriage, or you believe Jesus can fix these situations in life. That's not why you go to heaven. You go to heaven because you believe that Jesus Christ is the king of glory who died on a cross to pay a sin debt that we owed, that he was buried and that he was raised again. And in raising him from the dead, God declared him Lord of all and you believe in him and you trust in him and you submit your life to him. That's the difference. And so I ask you today, is your life under the authority of the lordship of Jesus Christ? Is he your Lord? Is he your Savior? Well, if not, he can be. If not, before we leave this church service, you can leave here a member of the kingdom of God 
under the authority of Jesus. If you will believe in him, if you will trust in him, and if you will surrender your life to Jesus today, will you do it as we pray?